Hey everybody, welcome to the Good Line Podcast. I'm Aaron Salvato. And I'm Brian Higgins. And we are continuing our series all about apathy, which again is, uh, you know, the most fun thing you could talk about. It's the most exciting topic of all time. It's it's fun to see that we are very energized and amped up about not being energized and not being <laughs> amped up. There you go. It's it's an important topic, though. In the last episode, we talked about waking up to the story and how important it is to remember where you are in this story and how you fit into this story. And today we're talking about we're talking about love. And I think I think personally that apathy and love there, there's a there's a real link there when when you fall out of love with somebody that's a hard space to be in that's a really challenging space to be in when you're i mean think about like a marriage when you're in a marriage with somebody or a dating relationship with somebody and then one day you realize that you're not in love with that person anymore and you're just going through the motions that that is a hard space to exist in i mean a lot of people always bring up the idea that hate is not the actual opposite of love, that apathy is the real opposite of love. There's there's one Mad Men quote that I really like kind of thinking about is there's a moment where John Hamm is in an elevator with somebody and the other guy is super upset with him and just crazy mad and is like, I can't believe you would do this, that and the other. And I forget exactly what the lead up is. And basically, the the rebuttal isn't, I hate you too. The rebuttal of John Hamm is, I don't think about you at all. Mm. And it's such a devastating line because it, it, it is so much worse to simply yeah. never be thought of than to just be actively hated. Like that feels yeah. so much more final and personally painful, I think, than yes. to have someone at least still be energized over what this relationship should be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when, when you told that story, it also reminded me of that classic scene in one of the Avengers movies where Scarlet Witch is going up to Thanos, you know, the, the this demigod who's destroying half of the population of the world. He's this all-powerful being. And she says, you know, you took everything from me. And he looks at her and he's like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> it's just like, you know, this. yeah, it's devastating to not be thought of, to not be, uh, you know, to not be loved, to not be known. That's, that's what we want as humans, to be known and to be loved. And, man, I just think the reason that I think it's important that we talk about this is apathy in relation to falling out of love happens to church kids all the time uh i just i know as somebody who i mean i I talk about all the time in the show but somebody who went to private school somebody who was a pastor's kid who grew up in youth group and then who was a youth pastor for over eight years i have seen so many people who they i mean I've, i've seen people go through the spectrum of on fire, you know, literally going to little conferences called Acquire the Fire, right? Just so passionate for Jesus, being baptized and and just filled with this desire to fall deeper in love with God, crying at camps and singing their hearts out to worship music and just vigorously taking notes during the sermon, not out of duty, but out of what is, you know, what is God speaking to me? What's he trying to say? I want to know. I want to know him. And, And then watching people go through the spectrum where all of a sudden they're like, I don't even feel like a Christian anymore. Like I'm just going through the motions. I just go to church to make my parents happy. I, I just, you know, yeah, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm out of love. And 
it's crazy. It's crazy that it happens, but it's also so human and so common. And in my mind, there's kind of two different ways that you could go in this kind of conversation. I've heard many different church leaders pose the idea that even when you feel out of love with God, the answer is discipline and proper habits. Just Mm. ignore the feelings, do the right stuff. You know, if you do the work, feelings will follow. And I don't want to totally dismiss that. I think there's an element of truth to that. I do think that our habits go a long way in shaping and guiding our feelings. But that's not exclusively what we want to say in this episode. I think that what we are aiming for in this episode is that lack of feeling at time towards God, lack of that there is a clear, vibrant, exciting love relationship between me and God. That problem should not simply be ignored. And God Mm. does not call us to an emotionless life of doing the right stuff for him and then heaven will fix the fact that we didn't feel it along the way. I think God does want us to have that genuine, close, intimate, loving relationship with him here on earth right now. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. I I think you're 100% right. That is his desire for us as humans. When we become disconnected from that story, when we lose our place, when we lose the plot and the story of our life just becomes, I'm living for, I need a better job so I can get a better house, so I can buy more toys and, and stuff and things to make me happy, but it doesn't actually make me happy. What's wrong with my life? I'm depressed. You know, like when, when that just becomes the routine of life, it's so easy for the apathy to set in. And so what we really want to do with this episode, I mean, this, this is a, this is a love letter, you know, to all the church kids out there and really anybody who's walked with Jesus in their life, but then struggled at times to feel connected. This is a a post I found on Reddit. And this is just a Christian expressing their frustration from this very topic. She writes, I feel like God doesn't love me. I've given my life to him, prayed my heart out, gone to church, read the Bible. I've done daily devotions, everything I can, but it feels like God doesn't love me. Every single time I feel God's presence, it stays temporarily, but then I'm sad again. I've tried reading the Bible, but I don't get much from it anymore. Lately, I've been giving up on God. I believe he exists, but every day I just start to accept that God doesn't love me. That's just... It's tragic. It's tragic, but I know there's so many people out there that feel that way. And it's interesting hearing that arc of a story. So much of it seems to be there are areas of life where I feel unfulfilled. Therefore, God is not meeting me. Hmm. Therefore, God is not like it it sounds like she's talking like she even used the phrase at some point, you know, God is with me for I'm I'm butchering it already. I just heard it 30 (laughs) seconds ago, but something to the effect of God is with me for a moment, but then I end up feeling sad again. Yeah, that's right. And to, to some extent, I think we have that kind of picture of a real loving relationship with God because he's perfect, because he's infinite, because he's greater than anything we can imagine, should be filled with just a constant euphoria. It should yeah. be like the 
last night of worship on a retreat experience forever. You know, we think of our <laughs> best moments with God. That is God meeting us. Anything less than that must clearly be a sign of his disapproval or his anger even towards us mm. that he has this kind of feeling ready to hand to us, but he chooses not to give it to us. I think is sometimes how we interpret that kind of walking from feeling on top of the world to just feeling very natural and human again. Does that make sense what I'm seeing in that? Yeah. Or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's so relatable. I mean, I, I'm thinking through my experience growing up as a Christian and everything you're expressing is something I feel like I've experienced myself. You know, growing up in a Christian home, pastor's kid, there's been so many times where I felt so close to God. And it was usually those mountaintop camp experiences. But then when I got into like the day-to-day grind of homework and slogging through all of these classes I didn't even want to take because I had no interest in algebra and dealing with, you know, the reality that there was all these or not like a ton, but there, there was, you know, these, these girls I had crushes on and they wanted nothing to do with me. And I felt like a loser and a loner in school and all these things. Right. I, yeah. I mean, there was so many times where I just did not feel loved and it was, it was related to, to me and my experience and, and what I wanted in life and what I felt I wasn't getting. And I, I feel like, yeah, that, that tunnel vision, I, I feel like that's something we're going to explore in this episode that, that, that myopic, tunnel vision that's self-focused that totally makes us miss the realities of God's love. That's the heart of this episode. We want we want you to wake up to the realities of God's love. Ephesians 5 really carries the heart of this mini series. There's that verse within Ephesians 5 that says, "Awake, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you." And I I love that imagery, man. Uh <laughs> like rise from the dead. When, when, you're, when you're dead, like when you're buried in the ground, the light can't shine on your face. You're, you're under, you know, you're, you're buried in the dirt. You're, you're, you're in Hades, right? You're, uh, yeah, you're, you're gone. But to rise from the dead, I mean, just imagine that imagery of you're buried in the ground and then all of a sudden you, you, you like, like a zombie, right? You come out from the grave and then the sun hits your face for the first time and you're like, whoa, I forgot what this felt like. I forgot the warmth of the sun and, and the niceness of the sun. That's, that's what I want people to experience listening to these episodes. I want them to wake up. I find it so common today that so many people end up being confused about the nature of how God communicates with us and really what the tone of that communication, the tone of that message is. For so many, they view the way that God communicates as stern and angry and dismissive. And quite often, this is the result of many Christians communicating in a way that is stern and angry and dismissive. For so many, it creates this tension in their hearts where because there is this perception that God is constantly angry with me, shouting at me, it's so easy to feel a disconnect where there's no feeling and no sense of love. And it's hard to get excited about a relationship where you don't feel loved. I don't think that's selfish. I think that's human nature. Every single person wants to be loved. And that that is a healthy desire. 
And so I think so many Christians mistakenly feel unloved in their relationship with God and it leads to this sense of apathy. Why, why even care when I don't actually feel loved? When it just feels like God is angrily shouting at me from the clouds. Here's what I'd like to point out. Yes, God is often actually shouting at us, but he's shouting for us to wake up. And I don't want you to get confused about how you perceive that shouting. You need to understand that God shouting, wake up, is one of the kindest things that he could actually do. You know, there's times with my son Jack where I sing him to sleep. I sing him lullabies to sleep, and it's this gentle, kind, and tender thing. There's moments where I just, I, I wake him up in this tender, loving way. I go over, and I, I come close, and I rub his back, and I pat his head, and I hold him close to me, and I say, Jack, it's time to wake up, and, and this is loving. Yes, like, we, we know this. We can all agree. That's, that's loving. Now, if I run into a nine-month-old baby's room and shout, wake up, Jack, Obviously, that's not kind, and he's going to start crying and weeping, and my wife is going to get upset at me for being a terrible father. But let's say that my son is actually 10 years old, and a fire breaks out in my house, and the whole place goes up in flames, and there's not much time. The, the, the structure of the house is melting and crumbling, and it's going to collapse in this furious fireball. If, if that's the case, if I, as my son's father, run into his room and shout, Jack, wake up, is that less loving? Is it less loving than the picture of me picking him up in the morning and tenderly rubbing his back? Is, is that less loving than shouting in the fire? No, shouting in the middle of a fire is not less loving. It's actually even more loving because it goes beyond affection and passes into a deep care for my son's safety, for his well-being, for his life. Shouting in the fire is not angry, it's loving. And I want to have us consider that right now. The, the reality that for so many of you listening, perhaps Jesus is shouting at you in the fire of your life as you're surrounded with doubts and discouragements and sins and compromises. Perhaps you've let those things lull you to sleep, which is a perfect place for the enemy to attack us. When you're asleep, your senses, your senses are gone. You can't see, hear, smell, feel, or taste. You can show the most beautiful painting in the world to a sleeper, and what do they see? Nothing. And I think so often God is trying to show us, he's trying to speak to us, he's trying to reveal to us who he is and what he's about and his mission and his plan and his love. But because we're spiritually asleep, the senses aren't there. We can't see, we can't hear, we can't feel or taste the goodness of God. And so in those moments, it is good, it is loving, it is right for God to shout at us in the fire. It's not a shout of anger, it's a shout of love. I would ask you, are you asleep? And has God been shouting? And have you been interpreting that shouting as anger when it's actually love? I would invite you to open up your ears and start listening. As you do, 
you're going to start recognizing the love that motivates God to shout in the fire. It's a really good point you're making because I I think that in a lot of church circles, we grow up with the concept pretty easily accepted that God loves us, Mm. but we don't pause long enough to ask, what does it mean for God to love us? And Mm. in our current condition, what is the most loving thing to do? Because that's also a big part of what it means to love somebody properly, you know, to love to love your wife well, mm. you need to be able to see the difference between she is happy and in a good mood and lighthearted and ready for me to joke with her <laughs> and she is really sad about something and really going through something and needs my sympathy and my compassion. You know, so much of how we love people well is we ask ourselves, what does this person need in this moment? And I think that we need to remember that God is always perfectly answering that question about what we need. It's just, unfortunately, in most cases, we're not ready to quickly admit what it is we actually need. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's so easy for us to base love on what we want and not actually what we need. Because what we need is someone looking out for us who cares about us, you know, enough that they're going to call us out at times, you know, that they're going to try to shake us awake from that fire. Yeah. With my wife, you know, I, I love her so much. And that love is expressed through picking my battles, right? Like if I were to just point out every single time that she wasn't a perfect human being, that would get, that would get pretty annoying pretty quick and I feel the same way you know if she if she just pointed out every single little flaw I had that 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 would be very frustrating but you know there's times where my wife will call me out on things when it really matters she actually just did that the other day there was something that she totally could have let slide but because she felt like it affected my character and even my relationship with God like she she pointed something out she's like hey because I love you, I see this thing in you, and I think you need to deal with it. And it it stung, but like I was, <laughs> I was just like, wow, this is really good. Like this is love. Like I feel very loved right now because this person who knows me better than any, any other human on earth is n- noticing something in me that is not contributing to my best, and she's trying to help me be my best. And I implemented her advice and it's, it's been great. Like, and, and man, I mean, God's love is like that, you know, like in, in today's culture, love is kind of framed as acceptance and it's just accept everyone exactly the way they are and don't challenge anyone and don't call them away from sin or acknowledge that sin even exists. Just be a good hang, be a good friend and just, yeah, to love is to accept but that's not actually true love. You know, the classic analogy is like if you had a friend who was about to drink a glass of poison and you were just like, hey, man, that's a cool life choice. I respect that. More power to you. You're not a good friend. You're not loving. Like real love is calling out the fact that someone's about to drink the poison. Yeah, it's, it's this delicate balance that needs to happen because love is a mixture of 
accepting the current flaws that a person has while motivating them towards greater wholeness and greater mm-hmm. healing. And, and generally we get caught up either too far in one or the other. You know, sometimes we, particularly when it comes to trying to hold other Christians accountable, sometimes we go way in the extreme of, well, if the most loving thing is calling that person out and pointing out (laughs) sin, then I will tell everybody everything they have done wrong. And you probably know who that person is in your church. And if you don't pray that it isn't you. Yeah. yeah, and that's not love, and that is being mean-spirited, and that's not yeah. the way that God deals with your sin. So there is this interesting balance of, there's an acceptance of, while you are not perfect, I will still love and accept you. Mm. However, I will not simply accept the fact that this is the best that you can be, that if mm. there is sin tarnishing and harming the image of God in you, I will recognize that that is not the true you. And mm. I will, in the in, in the power the Holy Spirit provides, try to lovingly point that out and move you away from settling into that sinfulness. It's good. You know, this, this conversation makes me wonder, Brian, is there a link perhaps between the dangerous reality of love that causes apathy in the realm of love. And what I mean by that is when when people really understand that in order to be in a love relationship with Yahweh, with Jesus, right, with God, it's going to require change. Like it's going to require that you can't stay the same. If you're going to actually be in a love relationship with God, you are you're giving him permission to be the person who shouts at you in the middle of the fire and says wake up we've got to go when sometimes we like the warmth of the fire like it's cozy it's toasty we like our apathy we like our sin because our sin often brings us comfort it brings us self-medication for our problems and our struggles, it's much easier to just sit in the toasty warmth of that fire. And so I, I wonder, you know, I mean, that that this this commitment, right? Love is commitment. It's not just fond feelings. It's commitment to one another and, and submission to one another, right? In a marriage relationship. And for us, you know, it's this submission to God and saying, You're you're my you're you're my friend, you're my king, you're my master, my lord, right? So, yeah, I mean, I just I, I wonder if 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 it's the same kind of thing that keeps a lot of young men from committing to marry their girlfriends is that fear of that deep level of love that causes you to actually have to change. Yeah, I'm sure that that's definitely part of it, at least for some. You know, I think that the difficulty that a lot of people have, and I, I say this because it's the difficulty that I have at times in my own relationship mm. with God. I like controlling stuff. I like being, you know, in in the words of Nacho Libre, I am the gatekeeper of my own destiny and I will have my day in the hot sun. Like I You got to do it. I, you got to do it in the voice, man. You're going to do the voice way better than I will. I can't remember the line, so I haven't seen Nacho it's Libre fine. in like 10 years, but But that idea of I am in control of where I am going. I am in mm. control of where my life is headed. The mm. the difficulty we have with trusting others is we don't know if their direction is the same as ours. You know, think mm. about the advice that you give young people when they're asking whether or not a romantic relationship is a good idea or if a marriage is a good idea. A lot of what we first come back to is, well, do your values align? What we're yeah. asking when mm. we say that is, 
do you guys have the same vision of what the good life really is? Because if you Mm. don't, submitting to someone else's leadership or submitting to someone else's influence, maybe is a better way to say that, submitting to that could be submitting to a version of life you do not agree with. And so that's why we always talk about do your values align? Well, in a relationship with God, there will be moments where our values do not align. Jesus values selflessness way more than I do. Jesus values holiness way more than I do. Jesus is anti-greed way more than I am. And part of learning to accept how God leads us as love is also reminding ourselves the vision he has for my life and the vision he has for humanity is actually the way things are supposed to be. The vision that I have is tainted. It's flawed. It's sinful. It's broken. And it's actually leading me towards destruction. It is only when I align with his vision for life that I can then feel his leadership as love. a lot of people what is the meaning of life there's probably a lot of them that would reference love and say the meaning of life has something to do with loving and being loved and many times in this people are thinking of their families their spouses their friends I think there's something in us intrinsically where everyone knows that love is very important Yeah, I think that even if you want to phrase that slightly differently, I think that the vast majority of people, if they were asked the question, what does a happy life include? Mm. Maybe not necessarily using just that phrase, the meaning of life, but what does it take to be happy and satisfied Mm. in life? I don't know anyone who wouldn't evoke the idea of love somewhere in that answer. If you gave them at least a couple minutes to think through it, it's Mm. what every bit of movies and content has been pointing us towards that you know even even the action hero needs the love in the end you know everybody is <laughs> as he walks not away satisfied from the exploding and, building exactly yeah <laughs> with he the can't girl in his really arms. yeah he can't really be satisfied unless he also has some kind of loving relationship by the end of being the hero right you can't just save the world you've got to have a girl to go home to right who are you gonna brag about saving the world to <laughs> You know, isn't that the whole I forget who's the comedian that said it, but basically the idea is that all great human achievement from men has come from the desire to impress women. (laughs) He just like goes through like, you know, Edison inventing the light bulb and he's like, it'll be better to see the girls who are impressed with me with. Mm, There you go. And, And why do men try to impress women? It's out of a desire to be known and to be loved and to impress someone enough where they'll become very close to you and, and, you know, fall in love and, and uh, enter into a long life relationship. I, I, you know, I remember when I was researching this topic, I found some insight from Socrates. Socrates says one word frees us of all the weight and pain in life. That word is love. And I think he's getting at something there because even though he wasn't a Christian, he somehow is tapping into this reality of the thing that actually does free us from the weight and pain in life is not just 
having people that love us to ease the burden of that pain. It's actually the love of Christ. You know, it's the love of, it's what he did on the cross for us that frees us from all of the weight and pain in life. And even though we, we go through pain and suffering in life, we know that there, there is this future because of the cross where we will be completely free of the weights and burdens and pain. Immanuel Kant, the German philosopher, said, rules for happiness, something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. And I think, again, he's a philosopher who's tapping into this primal urge that we have for purpose, you know, something to do, someone to love, and something to hope for. It's interesting that link between a loving relationship and purpose. You know, yeah. it, it, I remember I remember when my son Nate was born, talking with my dad about how once you have a kid, so many decisions are made a lot easier. Mm, you know, it becomes yeah. a lot easier to decide, yeah, we will go home early. Yeah, I yes. will try to save that money. Like, yeah, yes. I will, you know, <laughs> cut back on doing this activity so that I have more time to spend with you. And it, it kind of speaks to that sort of guiding force that love mm. can be in a person's life. And and people do the same thing with romantic relationships. You know, mm. I, I, we've all either been or we've watched people get into that early part of a relationship where mm. it's like either they're just about to label themselves boyfriend and girlfriend or they just have. I and call like, it puppy love. Yeah. And when people are in that moment of time, like when you hear that phrase puppy love, mm. what are those people doing? They are being on their absolute best behavior with one That's another. That's a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are trying to win one another over. Yeah, they're it's it's loving texts, it's flowers, it's handwritten yeah. notes. Like no yeah. no like long term boyfriend is going to like a particular stationery store to be able yeah. to have the right card stock for the note. But right. in that puppy it, love it, phase, you totally are. You're it's like pulling a, out all the stops. Remember in the office, you know, you, you've got the contrast with Pam between Jim and Roy. You know, Jim's in that full on puppy love with Pam, even though she's engaged. And he's like creating like handcrafted teapot presents for Christmas and, you know, slipping them in the slipping a love letter note within the, mm-hmm. the teapot and agonizing over how he's going to give it to Pam. And then Roy's like, hey, uh, I got a great Valentine's Day present for you. Let's go down to the harbor with the jet skis with my cousin. It'll be great, you know? It's like, <laughs> I like how Southern you made Roy for no reason. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Roy's it, more like, uh, hey, 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 Pam. Hey, hey. Uh, now I'm doing John H. Benjamin. Yep, that's hey, exactly hey, where you're headed. Gene, Gene, Bob's Burgers. Leave, leave all of this. <laughs> I will. <laughs> this, is, this is pure gold. It's great. But yeah, it, it speaks to this idea of... You know, something that shapes your action is motivating, is purposeful. It it drives not just how you feel, but who you are mm. and what you do. Mm. And that, I think, is why we didn't want to just make this whole episode, you don't feel God's love, deal with it. Read yeah. your Bible anyway, and then maybe you'll devotions. feel something. Right. Yeah, like Pray that, more. Yeah, that doesn't help. When you're like, no, but if I have that loving experience, I will be more motivated to do those things. And that's why Mm -hmm. I think it's so important, like you're saying, to remember first that that experience we are seeking after of of having such a loving feeling that it motivates our actions is first the experience that Jesus had towards us. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I I think 
one thing that I always come back to is remembering the story of love, right? Like, what does the Bible say? It says God is love. What does scripture tell us about that love? It tells us that in the beginning, God wanted a family so much that he created humans. Like, he wanted to love someone. He wanted to have a relationship with someone. He didn't want servants. He didn't want slaves. He created humans to be in this love back and forth relationship with him. And it says that he walked in the garden with Adam. Like he, he had a love relationship with his humans and you know, you can't deny it. Like all throughout scripture, you see so many passages about God's love and, and, and right from the start, you have these humans God creates he puts them in a garden. He loves them. He gives them purpose. He gives them their own version of love, not just with him, but he creates marriage right at the start so that they can experience this beautiful thing called love that he created on a human level. Like he cares enough about them that he wants them to experience their own love with one another, which is incredible. And then when they sin and they mess everything up and they open Pandora's box and usher all sorts of evil demonic forces and diseases and death and everything bad when they when they open up that pandora's box and unleash that into the world god answers all of the doubts about whether or not he loves the humans because if he didn't he would have just started over and literally you know firebombed eden and wiped them out and just made another garden and said, I'm going to tweak some things in the formula and make sure this doesn't, you know, he's going to pull a Michael in the good place, right? And uh, tweak the formula and say it's going to be different this time. But that's not what he does. He says, I love these humans so much that I'm going to form this plan to die for them, to save them. Like, God's love is incredible. And it's it's through every page of the scripture. Now, that's looking at it from a very broad picture perspective, which is totally true. I agree with every second of it. Yeah. I can imagine it is very easy to hear that and say, yeah, well, of course, God loves the world. Yeah, of mm. course, God loves humanity. Mm. But does God love me in particular? Does he love me specifically? And I, I think that that is part of the struggle that's mm. being brought up by this question of, of really experiencing God's love. It's It feels like, to go back even to that Reddit post you brought up, it feels like that person is not doubting the idea of God as loving. Mm. The doubt is, am I sure God actually loves me? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Am I sure God actually loves me? That's something that you even find in the Psalms. You know, the, the psalmists, the Psalms was the prayer book of the scriptures. And in Psalm 8, you have the psalmist in that passage saying, you know, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is a human that you visit him? What is a human being that you remember him and that you look after him? And he says, I, I look up at your, your skies, these dark and enormous skies and, and, and the, the clouds and the moon and the stars mounted in their setting. And then I look at my micro self, you know, my, my tiny human self. And I wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? Right there in scripture, which is God's love letter to humans, you find this, this sub letter within the bigger letter where you have a human saying, I don't understand why God even cares about us. And sometimes it doesn't feel like he actually does. Yeah, and I think that that's a really common feeling. You know, I, I think that sometimes we think of God looking at us 
the way that somebody looks at like a way younger brother when they're in high school of like you're <laughs> yeah you're you're part of me i guess but i kind of wish you i've just been told that you're part of this community that i'm in like i don't mm. necessarily feel that for myself but i guess i got to keep you around but also all your hobbies are so childish and you're such a dork and i don't like anything about i'm like really trying to channel 90 sitcoms right now <laughs> for like the get out of here dweeb like mom get him out of my room like that that's sometimes we think that that is the way that jesus looks at us he looks at us as just like little tiny insignificant people right and we ask that same question today of like yeah god loved those people back then yeah maybe god loves our pastors today but mm, yeah i don't see any significant evidence that points to he loves me personally right now yeah oh man and that's that's so relatable i feel like to so many people because you and i are ministry guys and you you've been to seminary i'm currently attending seminary we teach the bible we do this podcast we're we're constantly submerging ourselves in books and scriptures and all these things that point to god's love all this theology that points to god's love there's been times where i've talked to friends of mine where they're not super theologically minded. That's just not how they're wired. They don't sit around and read theology books. Their main exposure to Christian information is they go to church on Sunday and they don't really, they don't really think about it a lot outside of that because they're just busy. I'm talking about friends of mine who are single moms who work multiple jobs. I'm talking about friends of mine who just, they're, they're, they're not wired to dive deep into these theological thoughts. And so I've heard, I've had conversations with them where they feel so disconnected from God at times. So I, I just know if you and I struggle at times with feeling like God loves us, there's so many more out there where it's it's really hard. It, it's, it's easy to lose sight of that connection. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that Jesus isn't standing in the room with us. You know, like Jesus can't give you a hug when you're down. Jesus can't pat your shoulder when you're having a bad day, you know? Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with what we attribute as God loving us. Mm. So I'm, I'm reading a book called You're Only Human, and it's it's been a great book thus far, highly recommended by a friend of mine. The first four chapters, or however far exactly I'm into it, has been fantastic. So if, if chapter five is where it all falls apart when you read this, I didn't know this at the time. Um, but the main thrust of that book is we generally look at our humanity as a problem. Mm. And for God, the fact that we are human is not a problem. The fact that we are sinful needs to be redeemed, but the fact that we are human is not a problem. So generally yeah. speaking today, people look at human limits and we start asking ourselves, how can we overcome those limits? You know, all manner of social media content is about being as efficient as possible in your day and getting the most out of your work week and so oh, much I writing. And, yeah, so much yeah. has gone towards productivity. Yes. And the idea is... 
if I am less productive than I can be, I am not valuable or worthy. Yeah. And he even goes into some different other elements with it where he points out that historically, one of the great struggles the church has had to contend with is people believing only spiritual things are good and healthy and valuable. All things physical are inherently broken, inherently problematic. And that naturally sounds like it kind of makes sense to us. I mean, pastors all the time talk about the idea of, you know, when we say the world, we mean like all the sinful stuff in the world. When we talk about the flesh, we mean like the evil that lives within us and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But all of that really gets thrown on its head in two different ways. One, well, God made a physical world. Yeah. He made a touchable world. He made a tangible humanity and he made it with the limits it currently has. Like God does not have to redeem the fact that a day is only 24 hours long. God does not have to redeem the fact that adult humans are anywhere from five feet to seven feet tall, you know, somewhere in there with a few exceptions in either direction. Like God doesn't have to redeem the fact that there is a limit to the amount you can lift or, or things like that. He made you with your specific finiteness and he is fine with that. And we look at all of our finiteness and we think these are the reasons God is upset. You know, we look at our our drives and our urges and our humanity and, and even the stuff of like, I have to go to work so that I could pay the bills. I have to... Yeah. I have to take time away from reading the Bible because eating is important and I need to make dinner for a family. And we look at all of that busy stuff and we say, well, clearly God just accepts the fact that this is part of my life. But he really wishes that what I could do is just read the Bible and pray for 24 hours a day. <laughs> well, yeah. if that's what God really wanted from you, he would have made you very differently. Mm. And he didn't do that. And and another place where that gets turned on his head is where this book really focuses on Jesus coming in human flesh to this earth is a great reminder that Jesus accepts human limitation. One, yes. one quote yeah. I want to pull from this book, he says, the doctrine of the incarnation of God, that mm. the father sends the son in the spirit to become human, includes the teaching that God puts a high value on the particular humanity and finitude of each of us. That being the case, our failure to put a similarly high value there means a rejection of God's own judgment. Wow. Wow. Sometimes we don't feel God's love because we're caught up in regular human stuff. Well, when Jesus came to the earth to redeem us, he took on all regular human stuff. Like he had stomach aches and he was hungry and he went through puberty and he He had a a day job. Yeah. Before he he was, yeah, he was like 30 before he started his ministry, I think, right? He He was was a bivocational pastor. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like he took on all human limits and he never, he never did it in such a way where it was like, 
we need to simply overcome these and become better than uh, it wasn't any of that it mm. was these are not the things that need to be overcome it's the sinfulness that tarnishes these things that needs to be overcome and I, I think that distinction is important so that we can properly parse out what is God's love towards us and what is perhaps an unrealistic expectation yeah that's that's really good that's really, really good. I, I feel like what you're saying and the insights from that book could be really freeing for a lot of people listening to this because what it immediately makes me think of, like the, the concept of God being okay with our limitations and, uh, and dealing with our limitations and, and suffering, long, you know, this long-suffering love alongside our limitations. It reminds me of the formula God made for us humans, which is raising children and experiencing our children. And you and I totally know this as new dads. My son is nine months. Yours is six months? Seven months. As of yesterday from the time of this recording. Congratulations, Nate. He's making it. He's making it. So, I mean, like what I'm trying to say is I do not expect my baby nine-month-old son to be a fully fleshed out realized adult who can like do his taxes you know what i mean and i don't Mm -hmm. want him i don't want him to be that i want him to go through the process of growing up that's how god designed him and i am here for it like if, if i woke up tomorrow and jack was like fully ready to like leave the house and get an apartment and hold down a job and could speak perfect English at nine months. One, I would be terrified because that's really weird and and creepy, but I would be bummed. I I don't want him to leave the house yet. I want him. I I am not annoyed by his tantrums. He's, He's totally doing tantrums right now. He's doing this thing where when he doesn't get the toy that he wants or the thing that he wants, he'll throw his head backwards and literally, like, I feel like he almost broke my nose the other day. And yeah, it's annoying, but I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm here for it. Like, I want him to grow up and I I am here for the ups and the downs of it because I'm his dad and, and I love him. And I think in the same way in our relationship with God, God designed us humans to go through a process of sanctification. And God does not expect you as a new believer, baby Christian, to be like the old wizened sage pastor who led you to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have to be there. Like, and don't put that on yourself to be there. Now, if you've been a Christian for, you know, 15 years, like you shouldn't be acting like a baby Christian anymore, but you've, you've also got some growing to do and you've got a way to go and that's okay. And I think that if we could tap into that and understand that God doesn't demand perfection from us. And I think that's what causes this apathy a lot is this feeling of I can't measure up like I've got to get my life together and then I can follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, like look at every story in the Bible. Look at the calling of the 12 disciples. Those guys were massive screw ups. I didn't say get your life together and follow me. I said, follow me. And then as the disciples followed him, Jesus began to get their lives together. Does that, does that make sense? It totally does. I mean, I, thinking about the sun analogy, you know, the thing the, the two things that we're currently proud of with Nate is that he can kind of put like three strides of a crawl together <laughs> and he can like crinkle his nose at you. Like, yes. Those are things where it's like, well done. 
Yeah, but if you sent me like a, a video message of yourself, like, "Hey, Brian, watch this," like it'd be like, okay, not not that impressive that that you can do that, but because I have different expectations for where you guys are at, and right, and yeah. and like you're saying, I, I am now at the place where I genuinely believe that if somebody could offer me a weekend experience that would simulate 30 years of Christian development and sanctification, I now actually believe that would be harmful for me. Mm. I think it would move me along too quickly and it would somehow mess up my experience of just walking with Jesus and growing at the pace that he seems to lay out. I mean, mm. it, it, I compare it to, you know, the, the same way where if somebody just handed me the money now and the accounts now to do a proper retirement or to be like, <laughs> hey, imagine instead of 30, you're 60 now and here's the money you have and here's the investments you have and here's what you need to do over the next five years and then retire. Like that would be harmful for me. It would mm. I wouldn't handle it well. I wouldn't be responsible enough. I wouldn't be at the stage of life where I'm ready to enjoy that. Like. God has given these different markers and milestones along the way mm. as part of normal human development. It is his system that things take the time they do. It's okay to let that play out. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and please don't mishear what we're saying, you know, where if you if you're dealing in your life with some gnarly sin, right? something that you know is hurting your relationship with God. We're not saying like, yeah, you know, you're in process, man. You're a work in progress. It's all okay. Take your time. Like there are the moments, like we said, where God is shouting at you, right? But it's because you're sleeping in the middle of a fire. He wants you to wake up and follow him. But by the same token, there are so many times where we're pushing ourselves to be this perfect Christian and then growing apathetic when we realize that we're not. When God is like, he's the father who looks at his kid and says, I don't expect you to be perfect. I just expect you to be mine. Yeah, I'm not responsible enough yet to handle retirement accounts, but I should be responsible with my paycheck. Yes. You know, what has God given you today? You are called to be responsible with that today. There's this reality where the world is constantly telling us messages. I open up my phone and I have a million notifications. It's not because I have a million friends, it's because I have too many apps. And I think there are many kinds of messages that a young Christian is constantly being told. There is so much messaging constantly coming at us. We have to strive to be cool, to be accepted, to fit in. You have to be pretty to be loved. I mean, look at any TV show, right? The pretty people are the ones who are loved. The average looking people, the dorky people, they are the comic relief, the side characters. I know that's how I always felt growing up. And then if you're, you're ugly, you're a villain or just worthless. Other messages say you must have money and success and fame or social media likes to be accepted. Young women are constantly bombarded by the magazine covers in the grocery store or, let's be realistic, even more so now, Instagram. You open up Instagram, whether you're a guy or a girl, and you're bombarded with people who are presenting themselves as having the perfect life with the perfect bodies, attractive, fit, successful, 
be like me get this many likes get this many followers if you don't if you're not then you are worthless other messages we hear are this is what you need for fulfillment i've seen in the lives of people i love dearly this this belief of the message that says in order to numb your pain in order to feel some sort of fulfillment you need to tune everything else out by abusing drugs abusing alcohol to the point where you really just can't feel much of anything anymore some people believe the messages that in order for fulfillment they need to be popular the world's messages tells us for fulfillment you need to go to the parties you need to have a lot of sex you need to lose your virginity before you get out of high school or college you need pornography you can't function without it you can't be sexually fulfilled without it you've got to have something to tap into that primal instinct on top of all of these messages we also have the world telling us the message of you must figure out who you are <laughs> you've got to figure it out there can be no ambiguity you have to figure out who you are and label yourself and society loves to put labels on people to define them but what are you are you straight are you gay are you bi what's your gender are you male are you female are you something in between or something completely different what are your politics what party do you belong to? Are you left? Are you right? And for so many young people trying to figure out what they believe about the world and reality around them, they, they're conflicted. You know, it's like, oh, my, my mother and father lean this way, but my friends at college lean that way. And I'm not sure how I feel about the president or the state of the country. What, what are you? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? A feminist? A misogynist? A racist? An activist? Are you depressed? Anxiety-ridden? Are you social media famous, an Instagram model, an influencer, a verified account, or are you a social media loser with five followers who doesn't get more than two likes on any post? There is this constant pressure to find out who am I? On top of all of this self-labeling and trying to self-actualize and figure ourselves out, our peers will also label us. I remember growing up and in middle school, what a great time where people are so kind, right? No, middle schoolers often lack empathy and can be total sociopaths. And I remember getting labeled with some nicknames I wasn't super happy with. During that time period, I got called fatty, nerd, geek. I once had a classmate tell me during a game of kickball that, Aaron, your legs are the size of two Christmas hams. And you would think I would get over that, but now I'm 33 and I still remember the sting of the insult and sometimes it's hard to not remember those words when I glance at my legs in the mirror after a big meal. I struggled a lot with this comparison growing up. In junior high and high school, I compared myself to everyone. By my standard and assessment, most of the males in my class were good looking they had cool hair back then they did this thing called frosted tips where everyone would spike their hair and dye it blonde i i was surrounded by guys i considered athletic or musically gifted or they had girlfriends or they were skinny and i looked in the mirror and i started to label myself based on the voices of the people around me and then comparisons i made towards others i labeled myself as ugly fat loser nerd loner forever alone, the guy who no one would ever fall in love with, and, of course, sinner. 
I knew my struggles, I knew my problems, and I constantly beat myself up over them. And the whole time in this darkness, God was shouting at me. Not angry words, no, words of love. I love you. I asked the question, who am I? And God's response was simple, loved. I asked, what's my label? And God's response was simple, loved. Stop for a minute and just remind yourself, I am loved. God loves me. Jesus loves me. My label is loved. You know, I had no idea the plans in store for me. In the middle of all of my self-loathing, God was loving me and leading me to his plans for my life and for my future. Wonderful friends like Brian who love Jesus and serve him with me. A passion for serving the Lord and many opportunities to do so. Jobs that allow me to share Jesus with others. A beautiful wife I've been married to since 2010 and a wonderful little baby boy who I just adore. I, I look at my life and yes, there's hard things. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's difficulties. But overwhelmingly, I know that I'm loved. And I think if you look hard enough at your life and you start to look for the evidence of God being there, if you focus less on what's wrong with your life and focus more on what is right, you're probably going to realize that you are loved. Yes, yes, there is pain and hardship and difficulties in your life, but just because there are hard times does not mean that you are not loved. Jesus went through the hardest time of all when he hung on the cross, but he did it because of his great and deep love. What's your identity? What's your label? Start with the label and identity of loved. Brian, I, I want to wrap up this conversation just by bringing us back to really hone in on that identity of loved. And I think, you know, what better place to go to than scripture and then some of the greatest Christian thinkers. And we can start with C.S. Lewis. I love his thoughts that he shares on the motivation for love. He says this, God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he is love. Not because he needs to receive, but because he delights to give. I just think that sums it up beautifully, you know? It's such a great way to think about it that part of God's nature is simply that he loves and that he loves consistently and he loves regardless of the metrics through which we think of his love. You know, we generally think that to to have his love, we have to be worth his love. And everything we see in scripture points to the exact opposite, that it is because he has simply chosen to love us that we are then given this label of worthy and accepted and welcomed into the family, not because we could have earned it in any way. Yeah, that's so key to remember that we can't earn it. <laughs> and so many people try like and that's such a classic Christian kid thing to do, like to try to earn God's love by if I read my Bible every day and then, oh, I read it four times this week, but not seven times. Oh, God doesn't love me. It's such a trap. When you start with the reality that, like C.S. Lewis says, God loves us not because we're lovable, but because he is love. You know what I mean? It's like, why does ice cream taste good? Is it because it tries to? Like, no, it just is. 
right? That that's a weird analogy. Uh, <laughs> I'm keeping it in though. You know, I, like I like it. it. I I like the element of that. Just is how a thing is. I I yeah. feel like sometimes we get so caught up in questions of trying to explain things. Yeah. And some stuff like the right answer sometimes is just I don't know. That's just how it is. You know, like yeah. why yeah. why does the sun rise in the morning? Like. Yeah, there's some big scientific explanation about gravity and forces, and clearly I'm a big science guy. But, like, to some extent, the answer is just because it does. You know, yeah. it, it just does. No, yeah, it's 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 so key. Like, you know, I think of our relationship with our sons as dads, and, like, I, I can't fully explain what's going on, you know, metaphysically and psychologically. Like, but when, I t- when, if, when my son, when he starts to talk, asks me, Daddy, why do you love me? so much why do you love me more than any other human besides mommy it's like i just do i'm your dad you know and i think we can trust when god says that he loves us enough to hang and bleed on a cross and die for us i mean that's the cross to me is the when we when we ask the question does god really love me and when we say I just don't feel like he loves me because, you know, I'm going through a struggle or I'm not, you know, when I read the Bible, I don't feel like I get anything or whatever, fill in the blank. Like all of these relatable human struggles we go through. To me, the, the biggest answer to does God love me is totally found at the cross because to me it's like you don't hang and bleed and die for someone you don't love. You know what I mean? Like I, I wouldn't die for anybody, but I would probably die for my son, you know, because that there's a, there's a level of love there that is transcendent and greater than just a normal affection. That's the love that God has for us. And I think like, that's what I want people to wake up to. It's like, wake up to the reality that like, yes, like even if you don't always feel his love, even if you don't always feel the warm fuzzies about Jesus, Preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself he hung and bled on a cross for you because he loves you. Yeah, especially when you start factoring in that Jesus's mentality was either he had to die or you had to die. Hmm. It was it was one or the other to him. And like like you're bringing up in most cases, if I get presented with the question of, hey, either you have to die or someone you've never met has to die. Like, I, I don't like either answer, but I'm probably choosing the one that doesn't impact me. Yeah. You know, that that's kind of the way that we we run through a lot of problem solving of what is the solution that impacts me the least. I think most and people Jesus, would, would pick that. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus was willing to take the one that impacted him the most mm. so that you could be free and so that you could be reconnected with him and so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty of sinfulness. Yeah. And that that really shows how he feels about you, <laughs> about me, about you, listener. Like he he loves you enough that he was willing to die. And I, I love, man, there's there's a couple of verses that we could go to in scripture, like Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the significance of that is like while we were still sinners, if you look at other portions of the Bible, like what that describes is not just like, oh, yeah, while we were people doing things that we shouldn't do, you know, while we were people disobeying God and breaking the rules. No, like to be a sinner is somebody who 
is infected with the poison <laughs> like the poison that like is threatening to destroy the universe <laughs> like it, it's it's somebody to be quarantined right it's it's an infected zombie you know like to, to be a sinner is to be an enemy of god on the side of the forces of evil and yet while we were still sinners he demonstrated his love for us that he died for us it's incredible yeah, I was reading this morning the last few chapters of the book of John, and I was struck by the moment where Pilate is bringing Jesus before the crowd and brings Barabbas as well, and it's, all right, which of these two do you want? And a lot of people have made the the comparison of, you know, Jesus loves Barabbas and is willing to die in Barabbas's place. But I also think about it as, you know, we are the crowd that chooses a different king. We are the crowd that rejects, like, give us the violent one. Give us the evil one. Let us indulge in our worst appetites at the expense of God's leadership and at the expense of God's son. And in that place... Jesus is still described in Hebrews 12, I believe it is, that he goes to the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy of what that work would accomplish. You know, nothing about the cross seems joyful except (laughs) for what it brings about in the end. Yeah, goodness. Yeah, I mean, he didn't just die for Barabbas. He died for the crowd shouting, give us Barabbas. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. He, He died for the people that crucified him. And no matter anyone listening to this, you you might be thinking, oh, my, you know, my sin is too great. My struggle is too big. I, you know, I'm too much of a sinner. He died for you. Romans 8, 39 says, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I mean, this is such basic Christian stuff, but it's just so important that we keep preaching this message until we die because people need to hear it and I need to hear it and you need to hear it. We need to keep reminding ourselves of God's love and not just get lost in the apathy of going through the motions of just trying to be a Christian because it's the right thing to do. We need to wake up to the reality of God's great love. And I love that in that verse, it doesn't say that nothing can separate us from feeling God's love. It simply says nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I think that that is such an important distinction to keep in mind. We we let our own feelings of apathy question what kind of love we're actually receiving. Mm. And I think that that's a very important distinction. And, And being able to get to a place where you say, all right, Lord, I don't feel your love actively and presently right now, but that is not a statement on the fact that your love has changed. That is simply what I feel in this moment. Absolutely. We, we can't go just on feeling. Sometimes the feelings will be there, but at times we have to just remind ourselves of, of facts, you know, <laughs> like of the reality of who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did. Psalms 86, 15 says, you, my Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy. You are very patient and full of faithful love. And I, I love that phrase faithful love there's other areas of scripture that use the word the hebrew word hesed which is a word that i love it's been dear to my heart for years and and what it means is faithful loyal love and ultimately commitment to covenant and commitment to plan and when it's talking about god's nature and character it's talking about how god is a god 
who created humans because he wanted to love them. And then he was fiercely dedicated with that goal throughout all of history. And then covenant, right? Like God makes a plan to save humanity and he makes a covenant to work together with humans despite their flaws, not expecting them to be perfect, but just expecting them to believe and follow him. And and that is his said faithful love. And what it means is even when humans drop the ball, which they do both on every page of scripture and then every day of your life, <laughs> you know, he is faithful. He has faithful love. He doesn't abandon us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't divorce us. He doesn't walk out on us. He doesn't, you know, ditch us for somebody else. He is committed to us even when we're not committed to him. And that is one of the, the most important things to remember about his love. He's committed to you even in the moments where you're not committed to him. Yeah, that's such an important idea. I think we get very caught up in our own short moment. I mean, think about youth conversations you've had or conversations you've had with youth group students, Aaron, where they'll describe like a two month period. Like it was this incredible journey of like, oh, like, you know, I used to I've been through so much and, you know, I felt so many ups and downs. And it's like, all right, well, when did all that begin? And they're like, you know, eight weeks ago. And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, maybe what you need is just more time to let this play out. You know, there's so many statistics about when people are unhappy in marriage, if they commit to it for five years or more, if they say we will ride this out for at least five years the stats on how many of those people are way, way happier at that five-year mark. It's something like 80% or some like really, really high number that simply through committing to, we will not let this current moment Mm. dictate our actions. We will let our commitment dictate our actions. Just by doing that, I mean, some feelings are so up and down and, and they come and go and there's so much that impacts them. But we get this fishbowl mindset of what I feel right now is what has always been and what will always be. And that is not the way that God's love is towards us. It's not like, well, God didn't feel it for a week. So now he's wondering whether or not he needs to cut you out of his covenant family. Like, that's not the way that he thinks about this. Yeah, that's so good. Man, those are crazy statistics. And that's something I want to pass that on to, you know, I've actually got some friends of mine who are struggling in their marriage in in that kind of way. And that's so, that's so encouraging to be able to pass on the reality that faithful love produces real results, Mm -hmm. not expecting your spouse to be perfect, but just expecting yourself to love them you know, despite their imperfections, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it's modeled for us by God in the way that he loves us, despite our constant imperfections. And that's, that's loyal, said, faithful, beautiful love. And that's what we want to, that's what we want to call people to want to call people to remember, you know, like it says in first John four nineteen, we love because he first loved us. We need to remember that that call to love and that importance of love. And I think, you know, as we're as we're winding this down, I've got, you know, a couple thoughts. And, and one is, I don't know, I just I want people to 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 just realize the potential that is waiting for them when it comes to God's love. Like there is so much love he has to give. But if you are not engaging with him and not spending time with him, and I'm not talking about this in some religious, like, I've got my Christian checklist, and if I miss any of the marks, I'm not a good Christian. I, I'm not talking about that. Forget that. I'm talking about 
approaching your relationship with God the same way you approach a relationship with a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or a good friend. In order for that relationship and friendship to be maintained, what does it need? It needs time, quality time, quantity time, communication. If all of that kind of stuff is missing from your relationship with God, you're missing out. And you're not missing out on God's love in the sense that, oh, he's not going to love you unless you engage with him. You're missing out on experiencing his love. You're sleeping through his love. You need to wake up to it. I The, the analogy that I always used in youth group was like, I, I would say to my you know middle school and high school kids, imagine you know, you've got this crush on somebody and you think like, oh man, they're, they're the most amazing person, but like, I'm not good enough for them. Like, there's no way that they would be in love with me. And then you wake up one morning and that person is standing in your house and they're professing their love. Like, I love you. I would do anything for you. I'm here for you. And you're like, oh my gosh, my dream, like the person I had a crush on, like they love me. And then you're like, oh man, like, I don't know, like, Will our parents be okay with this? Like, do we have to hide this and make it a secret relationship? And then the, you know, her parents and your parents walk in and they're like, we're fine with this. We're okay. We, we give you our blessing. Here's the car. Go on a date, go to the movies, hang out. Like, like you have freedom and imagine you got to that point, you know, with the person that you've secretly had this crush on. And then all of a sudden they love you and you have full permission from parents and just, you have this freedom. And then your response is like, so we can hang out on Sundays for like a half an hour. And then, you know, I'll see you around like what a waste, like what a waste of, of the potential that you have for this deep relationship. And I'm again, I'm not calling people to some religious routine. I'm calling people to treat God's love as a treasure, to treat it as something valuable and to treat it as something that deserves time and attention and experience. And I'm preaching that to myself because there's times where I neglect that and it stinks and it's not good for my soul. Yeah, we really miss out on the power of undivided attention. Mm. You know, cuz even something as small as a 15-minute window where you give a spouse or a child or a friend 15 undivided minutes where there's no screen on, there's nothing you're doing on the side, there's just meaningful connection. Just that that short window of I see you, I hear you, I am in this with you can go such a long way in making sure that the connection stays strong. Mm. And and I, I think that there is something to be said for if that undivided attention hasn't happened on a regular basis with you and God, then it, it kind of makes sense that the loving feeling isn't there. But it's not that it can't be rekindled. It's not that it can't be re-experienced. It's that it simply requires some of that undivided attention. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, man, I was doing a sermon at my dad's church, Calvary Vista, recently when I traveled to California, and it was on Psalm 86, and it was all about the love of God as a father and how David cried out to God the same way that a little kid, you know, cries out to a dad. So obviously I picked this chapter because it was very relevant to my current experience. So it was pretty easy to preach. But as I was studying that passage, it was interesting. I actually, I, I wanted to, I wanted to go for a walk and listen to a few other guys preach on the fatherhood of God to try to glean some ideas and wisdom from them. 
So I went for a walk in my dad's neighborhood, you know, where I grew up. And I popped in a sermon from Josh White over at Door of Hope. And he was, he was teaching a different passage, but uh, he was talking about the fatherhood of God. And I was going for a walk. And it was crazy because as I was going through my dad's neighborhood, which is a neighborhood I have taken walks through probably hundreds of times growing up as a teenager, I actually got lost. Like I got lost in my dad's neighborhood. And it was because it, would, it had been a while since I had been there. And I found myself going, I don't know where I am. Like, I don't know how to get back home. And this is kind of embarrassing because I grew up here. <laughs> and the thing it instantly made me think of is a phone call I got from one of my former students a couple months before that. And she was like this amazing girl who like grew up helping lead Bible studies and lead worship and all this stuff. And, and she was like, Pastor Aaron, I wanted to call you because I'm struggling right now and I don't even feel close to God or like I'm a Christian. And that conversation, it reminds me of the idea of getting lost in your dad's neighborhood. You know what I mean? Like we, there's so many of these Christian kids that grew up in church and went to private school and went to youth group and they lived in, you know, God's neighborhood, right? And then all of a sudden they're in their 20s and they're just like, I feel lost. Like, I feel disconnected. I don't know where I am anymore. Like, I've lost the idea of what it means to be a Christian. I'm going through the motions. I'm disconnected and I don't sense God's love in my life. And and that's really like the motivation for a, a lot of this series is like, I want to help the kids that are lost in their dad's neighborhood find their way home. That's, that's my heart for, for everything we're talking about today. I, I really hope that this is encouraging and helps point you back, you know, to, to the path home. Yeah, it's such an interesting thought of being lost in your dad's neighborhood. I love that story. Yeah, it kind of reminds me that there's a big difference between when you're driving and when you're a passenger. Mm. Of when you're the passenger, you kind of trust the driver just knows where they're going. And if you had gone for that same walk, but you were with your dad, you would have just kind of let him lead the way and you would have kind of picked up on his body cues of if you're turning left or right or he would have pointed out like, oh, let's go that way or or things like that. And my hope is that for a generation of Christians who grew up letting somebody else drive their faith. Yeah. I hope you don't get discouraged that learning to navigate the world includes getting lost sometimes. It's going yeah. to include a few moments where you thought you were headed the right direction and now you kind of lost your bearings a little bit. That is not failure. That yeah. is not rejecting the gospel. That is not mm. giving up on Christianity. That's learning the complex skill of navigating the world through the lens of faith. Yeah. And God is willing to receive the phone call of Hey, this is a little embarrassing. I'm in the neighborhood, but I don't totally know where I am. Like, yeah, he's not going to laugh at that or judge that. He's going to say, OK, well, tell me where you are and, and, and I'll guide you home from there. I, I will meet you exactly where you're at. You know, share your location. I'll just come to you and then we'll walk back together. You know, like that's yeah. the way that God responds to those moments of, of lostness. So yeah, they don't have to be the end of the story. They can be something that God meets you in. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think the answer to getting lost in your dad's neighborhood is just don't walk alone, you know, just recognize 
one, the need to walk in community. If you're trying to do the solo Christian thing, you are going to feel lost. And that that is consistently for my former students. I'm, I'm not sure about your former students, but the, the students that I've talked to that used to be my youth group and they felt that they had a very vibrant spiritual life when they were, you know, doing church Sundays and Wednesdays and sometimes Fridays and camps, right? And, and also private school. In their 20s, while they've gone off to college, like one of the most consistent things I've heard when I've asked them, like they, they've said, hey, like I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, I don't, I don't feel God's love. And I, I'll ask, are you in community? Like, is there a group of Christians you hang out with where you encourage one another? And like nine out of 10 times the answer was no. And I was like, that start there. <laughs> like mm-hmm. trying to do the Christian thing alone is one of the, the biggest gateways to apathy and feeling out of step with God's love that I can think of. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I would just encourage people listening to this, like community is so important. And then walking with God, you know, like if, if you're lost in your dad's neighborhood, you need to realize that he is actually standing right next to you. Like you don't have to call him and have him come pick you up. He's already there. You just need to tap into that and, and understand his love is present and it's near to you. And if you start walking with him, you're going to find your way back home. Yeah. God is excited to meet us in our lostness. Mm. He simply asks us to reach out to the resources that he's given us to help guide our way back. Mm. Amen. Amen. I, Dude, I enjoyed this conversation so much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really hoping that it's a blessing for people. I hope if you're struggling with feeling like God loves you, this gives you a lot of ammo to understand how much he loves you. And let's, you know, let's just lean into the whole pastoral thing really quick. And maybe let's close this episode out in prayer. Brian, would you be fine to pray for just any of our listeners that are struggling with feeling connected to God's love? Yeah, Absolutely. Father, we thank you that you have made your love clear and you have proven it through words, actions, and resources that you've given us. You know, the Bible again and again preaches a gospel of love, that you don't delight in judgment or in sending us away, but mercy triumphs over judgment, that your love remains committed to us through our sinfulness and through our wandering. You've proven your love in your actions. You've sent your son Jesus into the world to take the penalty of our sin and to welcome us back to right relationship with you. And you've surrounded us with resources. You've given us your people and the the access to good Bible teaching that we have today. Lord, I know that for many, the feeling that you don't love them also comes with a degree of guilt where it feels like failing to access certain things. And so I pray that where there's guilt, you would release that. You would take away that shame. You would take away that that shy feeling of maybe for some, they know that they've been absent from community for a while. And so the idea of showing their face there again, it, it seems like it's too much to bear. Lord, I pray that they would know that you welcome them with love when they take that right first step again. You welcome them with pure acceptance when they begin moving in that direction towards your love. And and Father, I pray that for any who are listening to this where this has become motivating and now they're, they're wanting to lean into your love more. I pray that as they do that, you would meet with them in profound ways. 
that that first time they opened their Bible again would be a rich experience, that that first Sunday back at church would remind them of all of the great things that they've experienced of you in church, that the the first prayer conversation that they have with you wouldn't feel empty and meaningless, but it would feel like you are connecting with them. And I ask for all of that in confidence because I know that this is what you want for us. You want us to be connected to your love. You want us to be connected to your spirit. Sometimes we get lost, Lord. I pray that you would guide us home. Pray that you would guide us towards your will and that where we wander, we would humbly confess that before you and that you would take your rightful role as our lead and our guide every time we we seek you out. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us first. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.